The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. What if? What if episode one today? What if episode one asked this question? What if just believing the right stuff doesn't matter at all? What if just believing, that's what James just says here, what if? There's got to be something more to that. Uh, I had some people after our gathering last night say, you need to make a quick little disclaimer here. We love having all kinds of people here. Children are welcome here. But from time to time, the Bible is going to be like blunt, like capital B blunt. And so if you have children here and you don't want to explain some things about marital unfaithfulness and demons and things like that, that's, we're going to talk about that a bit today. We're not going to be crass or rude or crude or anything like that. But the way you would talk to a child about this might be very different than how you talk to an adult. So that's just a big disclaimer. Now you know uh, about that as we jump in here. Um, just believing doesn't matter. You can see what James says there. What good is it? When he's talking about it, he's talking about what good is your faith if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? In my Bible, if you have your own Bible there today, highlight that word that. The tricky part about verses like this over the years with denominations, some of you are raised Catholic, some of you are raised Protestant, some of you are raised, you have no idea. But about 400 years, there was a big division in the church over this whole idea. How does someone get right with God? How does someone become a Christian, how someone get saved. And the church at that time said, no, it's you have to do all these deeds and rituals. You have to perform and do and do and do and do. And Martin Luther and other guys came along, no, no. You read the Bible, it says, no, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so that, the, that's the absolute truth. But the tricky part about that is, is some people think, well, that it's by faith alone, then faith just is faith alone. doesn't matter what you do. And you go, no. It's never, here's a way to write it down maybe. Faith will never be alone. Authentic faith, real faith, will not just be by itself. It will always produce something here. It's not enough to just believe something. You have to do what it says. In fact, down in uh, verse uh, 19, he says, You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. <laughs> Good for you, pal. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Here's the deal. Probably not cross point, but maybe a few of you here have been led to believe that if you just believe the right stuff, that that's enough. Here's the deal, guys, today. Demons believe the right stuff. If it's just about believing it in your head, you don't want to have demonic faith, man, because demons aren't going to heaven. Demons aren't part of God's kingdom. That that kind of faith is not just believing the facts about it. That, the, the faith that God's looking for is that faith that says, I step over the line and I surrender my life to you based on the facts. So it's not opposed to the facts, but it can't be just the facts that are there. This is about real faith versus counterfeit faith. This is not faith versus works. Faith will always produce authentic faith. A life invaded by faith and by the grace of God will always produce something. Always. If it doesn't, then it's probably not real. And what will happen sometimes too with this is in the, in the church, there's this idea of this argument of deeds, doing the right things, and creeds. Our belief. And because, again, we, uh, some of us grew up in churches, we were like, we're not going to believe that you have to do all this stuff. You don't have to jump through hoops to become a Christian. 
We think it's all about just believe the right things. I remember when I was a kid, you know, accept Jesus in your heart, believe he's God, and that's good. And that's up good up to a certain point. But what will happen sometimes, we forget. And one of, the, one of the things that happens here is that in churches I grew up in, churches I've been part of for years and years and years, in their effort to say it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus did, they'll trot out the verse called Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. And he says, It's not by works, not by deeds, so that no one can boast. And all the Protestants stop at verse 9. Because verse 10 says, the reason it's by faith through grace, it says, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to not believe the right things, but to do the right things that he planned for us long ago. Faith will never be by itself. It will always have something here. So write this down today. Our world we're looking at right now the watching world, some of look at our at Christians and go, I'd be a Christian, but they're no different than I am, really. And how they do money and sex and conflict, <laughs> conflict especially. <laughs> but you Christians are sometimes worse in some cases. Write this down today. Creeds minus deeds equals hypocrisy. Having the right doctrine without accompanying actions is hypocrisy. And the truth is, the Bible is that you really don't believe that. You just have intellectual assent to it. But the tricky part with that sometimes, too, is that you will hear this is fashionable probably in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, when I started, first started noticing, it was like in, in like what they call Gen X kind of churches. Churches were kind of raised around the idea of just um, all this belief and belief and belief. And going, no, it's not about what you believe, it's what you do. And so the, idea, we, the, the little slogan was, deeds, not creeds. It doesn't matter what you believe. This is Oprah Winfrey theology, and this is not to disparage Oprah Winfrey. She's a beautiful, amazing person. But this idea that it doesn't matter what you believe, just be a good person. Just do good things. And that truth is there's some things about that are kind of amazing, and that's a good idea, right? Here's the problem, though. The Bible is going to be a problem with that because deeds minus creeds equals heresy. And hypocrisy and heresy leave you outside of a relationship with God. Both things are deadly to your faith. I was raised in the church and at Trinity Baptist Church in San Jose, California in second grade in that little dark little room with the teacher. I don't remember his name now. I bowed my head and just accepted Jesus into my heart. I just thought I was supposed to do that. I didn't probably understand a lot of it then. And really then from that point on, I was raised in a Christian family. I was a compliant kid, so I was like, eh, whatever. But it really hadn't taken root in my heart like it does for a lot of us. Sometimes you've got to get on out on your own little bit and decide, do I really believe this for myself or is just my parents put on me? And so in college, I started to, for the first time, embrace my faith as my own. And, and I have been raised to think that just, do, just believe the right things. Romans 10, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again. If you believe that, that gets your stamped, your get out of hell free card. And I was all in for that. All in for that. And, and then I did this crazy weird thing um, and started actually reading the Bible for myself. No, and I, I'm not being facetious about that because the tricky part is sometimes you can get things in your head. And the truth is the church I was going to was probably telling me this, but I just had that so in my head because I thought just, it's all about Christians. I was like, if, if you believe, if you believe this idea of doctrine of eternal security, that God will never, you can never take away from God as long as you believe the right stuff about God. And then Jesus speaks. 
John. The book of John. Go back to the left in your Bibles. Some of these verses will be on the screen. Some of them won't. I also want to encourage you to get your own Bibles out and read stuff and look at stuff. Don't just take my word for it. But we talked last week about this idea that it's, it's all about love, that the greatest thing God tells us to do is love. Just love him with all your heart. You think, Steve, all we need, like we talked about, like, all you need is love. Love is all you need. Just love me. And then Jesus talks. John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. In other words, look right at me. You can believe it's all true and believe it's all right if you're not following through and obeying him. He says, the truth is you really don't love me. Now think about that, men and women, if you're married here. If your husband is consistently doing things that you hate, does he really love you? Well, he'll say he loves you, right? At some point you go, quit telling me you love me, show me. Because the real sign that you love somebody is how you respond to them. And because they love me, my father will love them, and I'll love them and reveal myself to each of them. And then a guy, I was traveling around the country with the college I went to, representing the school in, in different churches and communities, doing stuff. And the guy, there was like nine or ten of us in this little group, did this. We did a Bible study through the book of John, and it rocked my world completely. Fundamentally changed how I saw the way of Jesus. I hope it, for some of you, you're going to go, yeah, I've heard this over and over again. I got this. Some of you are going to hear this today and go, Dang, and, and here's the thing. Probably should put a quick little disclaimer on this because some of you today are going to hear this and go, it's about dang time somebody's saying that. And it's true. The hard part for some of us that are here today, if you're like me and a little too tightly wound <laughs> and a little too sense of like you can be motivated by shame and guilt, I don't want you to hear this as shame and guilt. It's an invitation and it's good information but the, the goal here, sometimes what happens when guys like me get up here and they, they, they read verses like this, by the time it's done, three-quarters of the church thinks, I must not be a Christian anymore. Because, oh my gosh, I struggle and I stumble. That's not the point today. So I've been praying all week that God would do something here where he, for some of us need a good nudge in the side because you've been complacent in your faith. You just, I just don't believe, who cares? You know, I'm a Christian, I'm an American, yada, yada, yada. Others of you are going to hear this and go, the, the demon, the, Satan is going to weaponize this on you and put shame and guilt on you. Don't let either of those things happen today. Stay right in the tension of that. The book of 1 John, uh, written by one of Jesus' closest followers, is written to a bunch of churches in the Ephesus area, and it's designed to say, how do we know if we're really a Christian or not? How do we really know if we're a follower of Christ? And over and over again, you can read the whole thing for yourself, over and over again, he goes, this is how you know, this is how you know, this is how you know. 1 John 2, verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him if we believe his commandments. You guys reading along with me too? No, it's not all believe his commandments. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Now look, quick little sidebar on that. You might actually know him. You might actually be a Christian and really not obeying Jesus seriously at all. And the truth is, God might, his grace might be bigger than all that, and you might be okay, but you have no confidence to know that you're a Christian if there's not some level of obedience going on in your life. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar. <laughs> Ouch. And is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This 
is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, he's not talking about perfection here. Because, well, Jesus is perfect. I'm not perfect. What he's talking about here is the idea of Jesus' deal is I do only, I, whatever I do, I want to please God. I want to please God and please God. Now, he had no sin nature. tripped him up. You and I have that sin nature. And we're going to trip up. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But it's this idea that, I, look, my commitment is to obey God no matter what. When he speaks, I just do what he says. One chapter over, uh, chapter 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. And the tense of that verb there is not that, they, that they're never going to ever sin ever again in their life. It's this idea they're not going to continue as a lifestyle of sin and disobedience. They won't continue to sin. Anyone who, here again, he keeps, them from, keeps on sinning, just kind of, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want, doesn't know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you. There are kind, all kinds of theologies and verses, things that people use, the Bible even, and books written in podcasts that will tell you, you know what? Believe what you want. Just try hard. And God, God, God's, God's going to be awesome with you. And I love you too much to tell you that. I love you too much to tell you, look, we can, honestly, this is the wrong sermon for a church that's trying to grow. What I should say is, like, it doesn't matter what you do. Just come on in here. Just be, just be free and just do what you want. You know, and just grace is there. So God will you know, pat you on the head and say, hey, a little time out and just get back going again. God's gone. I love you too much to let that happen. Don't deceive you. When people do what's right, it shows they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when they keep on sinning, not struggle with sin, keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of, into God's family do not make a, I highlight that in your Bible, a practice of sinning. They're not trying to get better at it. They're trying to get worse at it. Because... Uh, I've lost my place. Because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. Right, under, underline the word can't there. This is not so they shouldn't keep on sinning. This is not like, come on, quit sinning because you're a Christian now. It's like, hey, if God's grace, if your life has been invaded by the grace of God and faith is that authentic faith that you have, it's not that you shouldn't keep on sinning. You won't. One of the signs that's really taken root in your heart is that God's done some there and he's changing you slowly but surely from the inside out. So now... We can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. 2 Corinthians, to the left in your Bibles, encourage you, find it if you can. There might be a table of contents that would be helpful for you to see this. Um, this really is my hope today for all of us. This is my little, I could just read this verse and sit down and be done, but... 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says this. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. You know what that means? Some of you might not have real faith. You might have emotions. You might have intellectual assent to it. You might be a fan of Jesus. You're not following him. Make sure, he says, test yourselves. Surely you know that Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. And so he's going to tell us, hey, test yourself. Don't just kind of walk along and go, well, you know, I prayed a prayer when I was in second grade. Or I got baptized. I went through some 
religious ritual ceremony. I, I did Holy Communion. I did my, my, my confession in different kinds of religious te- uh, traditions. Matthew 7, back a little more to the left in your Bible. These verses uh, give me anxiety. And I'm, I'm really not, I'm, anxiety. I wake up at night for myself and wonder about these. And I wonder about people here. Your names and faces, some of you go through my head. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at me a second, guys. These are people who believe that Jesus is Lord. They're calling him Lord. Lord, not everyone who says Lord, Lord, is coming into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And here's the verse that scares me to death. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That means you can do extraordinary external works for God, and God goes, if I don't know you, it doesn't matter. If there's not character stuff here, not just a bunch of like, oh, I can do spectacular things for God. Spectacular things for God does not mean you're a Christian. All kinds of people do spectacular things for God. doesn't mean they're in. And then he goes on to say, in, uh, he gives us this big warning here. And then he goes on to say, verse, chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows like a wise person who builds a house on a solid rock and then the foolish man builds a house in the sand. How many grew up going to church? Yeah, about half of you. The rest of you, yeah, welcome to the show. Um, there's a song we sang back going to church. And it was, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And, this, and the rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock went smash. We loved to do that when we were kids. Uh, Make the big noise in the classroom. Jesus is going to say to us today, it is not enough to just know God's plan for your life. It is not enough to understand God's plan for your life. It is not enough to enthusiastically agree That's an amazing plan. The only thing that matters is whether you understand it all completely or you even, even, look at me for a second. Some of you are here in the study go, I don't like God's plan. It doesn't matter. If you don't like it, just do what he says. You don't have to like it. The key thing is do you follow through? Do you just do what he says? And look, we have students in here today, guys, guys, girls, students. You live and work in a world where everybody in there is working really hard going to hell. They're digging holes in the campus trying to get there. Lots of people, and th- that's going on in the world that we live in here, in the neighborhoods that we live in here. And so it can be really challenging. It can be really challenging. You don't have to like God's plan all the time to obey it. And then I love this too, Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Jesus tells a story. He says, hey, he's walking around with his dudes and people, and everybody goes, hey, what do you think about this? Matthew 21, verse 28. A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. 
And the son answered, no, I ain't going. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? The one who said he would obey or the one who said, forget you, dad? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we post on social media. It doesn't matter what we proclaim. It doesn't matter if you have a Christian t-shirt on that says Jesus is Lord and Jesus, whatever it is. All the posting and all the proclaiming does not matter. The only thing that matters is practicing what Jesus told us to do. It doesn't care. Because some of you would think, well, I'm not a good Christian because I'm not all blah about this. And I don't have 18 different GIFs or GIFs or memes or whatever. My TikTok channel, all that. I don't have all that stuff on there. He goes, look, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about, are you actually just following through what I said? That's the only thing that's going to matter to Jesus. Now, the tricky part when you hear this is we sometimes think, okay, all right, so you're telling me, Steve, i got to not just believe the right stuff. i got to believe the right things. i got to do the right things. Come on, just do it. It's what we call, it'll be up to the screen here, we call it Nike spirituality. Just do it. Just do it. Or Waterboy spirituality. Remember Waterboy Adam Sandler? You can do it. You can do it. And that's what churches try to do here every week. Come on, guys. You can do it. You can do it. I'm going to tell you today, you can't do this. You can't do this. The idea of just do it, what Jesus in the gospel proclaims over, the, over just do it is just did it. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He died the death in your place that you deserve to die. And then he rose again uh, to, to conquer sin and death. And then he gives us his spirit to change us from the inside out. If you could live the Christian life, if you could just do it, Jesus was a colossal waste of time. You can't do it. So the second you recognize, I don't have to do this. Jesus did it. Grace, grace is opposed to earning. We sometimes think, if I can do enough good stuff, this is the whole idea, remember, in the show The Good Place, like that little opening episode, okay, if your good deeds have all your bad deeds, then you'll kind of, you'll get in here. That's all that matters here. And, and grace is going to tell us, look, it's not about what you do. It's about what he did in your place for you. And that righteousness gets credited to your account. The spirit comes in there. And then he's going to start to change you. Not by outside-in behavior, artificial, just suck it up, religion, just do it, just do it, just do it. Instead, it's going to be from the inside out. Desires change. So grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. And we sometimes think, well, I'm not, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to do anything. And we cut little ever Christian life like that, I don't have to do anything. So I sit back passively. Philipp, there's all kinds of verses, guys. We could do a whole 24, 24, 24, I said 24 hours, 24 minutes on all the verses where, where he says, Paul has a classic one in Philippians 1, 13 and 14. He says, hey, now that you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him. And he says this, brothers and sisters, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do it. But it's not a passive, oh, God, give me the desire and power. You know, it's a cooperative effort that we do there. We jump in with him together to do it. Authentic faith will always have good deeds, good fruit that's born from it. John 15. We're not going to turn there. But in John 15, Jesus uses another analogy, not of a house. He says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. A branch that doesn't remain in me can't bear any fruit, but remain in me and let my words remain in you. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And this is, again, 
How do you know an orange tree is an orange tree? There's oranges on it, right? He says, he says by your fruit, you're going to know them. And look, it's not about you to be able to go be fruit inspectors. Go inspect your own dang tree. He's going to say, look, fruit's just going to be the natural outgrowth of a life that has had authentic grace invade it. And if you're not seeing fruitfulness in your walk with God, or if there's areas of your life where you go, you know what, mm, I get that, but mm. you have to go, uh, when God said something here and you're just going to go, eh, about it, you better, mm. Now, God, God's bigger and greater. I don't understand all that stuff, but be careful about that. Um, he says, abide in me. And Justin was talking about this this week uh, with us, Pastor Justin, this idea that um, we sometimes think what religion tells us is just do it. So you know what we do? We look at our tree, and we go out here, and we go pick up an orange and a nail and go and put it on there. Or go, go, go download pictures of oranges or apples and staple them on there. It's fake fruit. And it looks good. And you, some of you look good on the outside. Well, Jesus goes, that's for one thing, you know what's going to happen after a while? You're going to be exhausted doing that. That won't sustain itself. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is, I'm working in you. Work hard at this. Be with me. Cooperate with me in this. I'm on your side. I've given, I'm coming to give you life and life to the full uh, don't, don't bail out on it. And so the way this works here is the idea of abide in Christ, remaining. So here it is. He's going to say is don't just do it, just remain is what he's going to tell us. Remain, abide. That idea of remain and abide, is, is that he uses the analogy of just like a branch is connected to the vine. Remain, be deeply connected. And some of you are going, okay, so what does that mean? Do I... We try to effort being abiding. Go, he says, rest in me. Here's the three ways that I've seen in my life. I've seen it in the Bible, and I've seen it for 2,000 years now. Of people who've walked with God diligently, what it means to remain in him. I'm going to give them three to you. Like there are three legs of a stool that will help you remain in Christ. Just sit in that stool and just be with him. Number one is God's word. Number two is God's people. And number three is God's spirit. That's what it means to remain, to abide with him. First of all, it's the Bible. It's God's word. Jesus says it in John 15. He says, hey, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, yeah, the words have to be in there. Some of you, some of us, maybe we, we, we don't know how to obey Jesus because we don't know what Jesus said. So part of what you do, you come into church like this. You show up here, you get your own Bible out and read it for yourself. And see, what is Jesus telling me to do here? So God's word. And here, here's the deal, guys. Um, if you're newer at this, you haven't probably had this happen to you yet. But if the longer you've been at this, this will happen from time to time. People will say, come on, Steve. Enough of all that milk and all that shallow stuff over here. We need the meat of God's word. I know I look pathetic up here doing this, don't I? <laughs> we need the meat. We need that digging deeper stuff. And there's nothing wrong with digging deep into the Bible. But you know what the meat of the word is? It's application. It's obedience. It's not more knowledge of it. And here's the deal, man. You can just, I heard a guy say years ago, uh, most Christians in America today especially are educated beyond our level of application. You, we think we need to know more, and we don't need to know more. We, just do, we need to do more what we already know. And I've seen this over and over again with people, men and women, oh, deep Bible study, deep Bible study, and then you're just a tool to people around you at work and with your kids and life. Go, how about you just obey that simple one like, be gentle with your kids. 
Respond in humility and grace out there. You don't need to know the Greek participle and the digging deeper stuff, all that stuff. Now look at me, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But never mistake deep Bible study with discipleship. It's what you do with the deep Bible study that matters the most. So jump into men's groups, jump into women's groups, jump into our small groups, grow in your faith, dig deeper into it, but never think it's supposed to terminate just on the knowledge. It's also uh, God's people. The reason we tell you guys to get in small groups here is the people you surround yourself with are going to be able to, from time to time, go, hey, I care about you enough to go, hey, what are you doing? Or maybe just go, that's weird. The way they do that with how they talk to each other or that thing with their kids and that frustration that they had and how they dealt with that or how they handle money or how they handle whatever it is, what happened is iron sharpens iron. And the Bible is going to tell us this, that Jesus, when he walked around here on the earth 2,000 years ago, he had a physical body. He was fully God, fully human being. The fully human being body of Jesus, as Jesus of Nazareth, isn't here anymore. But you know what still is here? His body is still here. Over and over again, the Bible is going to tell us, you know how you can see the physical body of Christ? Look around the room today. Eyebrows, nose, mouth, elbows, the, the body of Jesus is present here today. If you want to know how to connect with Jesus, connect with people in the body of Christ. It's not enough to have acquaintances. You need those deep community kind of friendships. And then God's spirit. After John says this here in John, uh, right before and after he says it in John 15, he says this. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be a guide. He's going to lead you into all truth. He'll comfort you. He'll encourage you. He'll give you impulses to obey him. So stay connected to him. And I'll tell you right now, you need all three. Good question for you. I was trying to find a three-legged stool this week, and all I could find was four-legged stools. But imagine a three-legged stool up here. If I have three, leg, three legs on a stool, I take the two legs off, and I try to sit in the stool with one leg, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. Or I could do the unicycle thing and kind of just a little bit of tension there. I could, I could do okay, right? I could kind of with... You put two legs on it, is it a little better? A little better, right? So God's word, sure. God's people, sure. God's spirit, those three legs go down there, and all of a sudden you've got something to connect with and abide in that's going to change you. That's what it means to abide in Christ. If you want to be serious about obeying Jesus, forget about just do it spirituality. It'll wear you out. You'll never be able to follow through on it. Just remain. God's word, God's people, God's spirit. So what does it mean then? We're going to talk about this today. What it means... Okay, so getting started, where, where do we start with obedience? Well, James talks about a couple of them in, um, in James chapter 1. He, he says in James chapter 1 what he also says in James chapter 2, where he says, um, James 1.22, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like, which nobody does physically. But we do it spiritually all the time. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your Bible reading and religion are worthless. One of the best ways to start with what it means to implement and, and, and get to work on some things in my life, what God has in front of me right now, what comes out of my mouth. What comes out of your mouth is like every other sin that you do takes some time to execute on. What comes out of your mouth, they've discovered it takes about 0.007 seconds. 
what goes from here to here, 0.007 seconds. James is going to tell, if you control your mouth, you're probably perfect and everything, because you control that thing, it's crazy. So coarse talk, foolish joking, obscenity kind of stuff, slander, gossip, divisiveness, just communication is a place to start. He's also going to tell us what uh, Grant just read for us. If you see people with needs, it can't be the, the little Christian dumb thing we do, go, I'll just pray for you, brother. If you have the ability to help them, we respond to needs. You help people out when there's a need that's there in front of you. So I wonder today, what's in front of you right now? And I was going to get up here and give you a whole big shopping list of things. I go, that the Spirit's working to do that right now. Some of you know what your thing is right now. You know that thing in your life right now that you've been holding out on God. Mm, I'm not going to give you the list because I know what my things I would say. Just What's that thing? They just feel like God's talking to me about that. I should pay attention to that. Whenever that happens, it's a bit like this. God's going to come to you and say, okay, let's get to work on that. It's a little bit like, though, like a parent. Like a parent, mom or dad, you come to your kid's room, your middle school kid's room. You go, clean your room. And they clean your room. And, and then they say to you, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. But, but I'm not ready to clean my room right now. See the analogy here? I'm just not ready. I'm not sure I, I can do it. I don't know if I don't, I'm, I'm not feeling it. My room, no, 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 no. My, gosh, my room's so messy right here. I, I just, I can't do it. It's too messy. I don't, I don't know where to start. I'm, here's the other one. Oh, gosh, I've got, I've got dance and I've got drama and I've got this and that and everything else. I'm just, I'm, I'm too busy right now. Come back next week, our t- part two of this uh, what if series. You can see the scriptures there, what's coming up next week. The big what if question next week is, what if too busy is just as bad as committing adultery? Some of you are going, dude, really? Just come back next week. That's a little, gotcha. <laughs> and for some of you, you look at your life, you look at your room, and God goes, pick a look at that. You go, mm, I don't want to. I like this. I like it like this. Rebellion and just stuff like that. So, I mean, trust me, I've done it a bunch of times in my life. I just like it this way. Or, or here's what we do then. What did he mean by clean? What do you really mean by that? Let's study it more. Or, oh, no, here's the other one. I know. I'm a Christian. I'm a spiritual person. Let's pray about it. Parent kids, today, when mom and daddy do something, you'll get more money and stuff from you. You just do what they say overall. That's a little tip for you guys today. With God, when God tells us to do something, he's not asking us to pray about it. You don't need to spend one second in prayer. Now, you pray for help, and God, help me with this. I'm going to take, you don't need to pray about whether or not you should do it. Um, or here's the, here's the other thing too. This came out of our team day. We were brain, uh, team this week. We were brainstorming. So, dad's dad's gone to work that day. Tells you get your room clean again. He comes in now, sees that room, and goes, "What the heck? Didn't I tell you to clean your room?" I get my little keyboard out. Oh, Father, thou art so great. How great is my dad? How great is my dad? My dad is so great. My dad is so wonderful. This is kissing up worship songs. 
we say, Jesus, I love you, we're going to sing, I believe in you. Jesus goes, seriously, do you? Because if you really believed in me, if you really love me, you do what I say. We could keep going on that, but we'll get move on. <laughs> we talk about this in James chapter 2. He gives us some examples of people that exhibit, they're called extraordinary great faith. James 1, 21, or 2, 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Isaac was the son he waited for and waited for and waited for, and God said, I want you to take that son, go climb that mountain, and sacrifice him as a sacrifice to me. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete, and so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. It says the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I love this, guys, because I love the, the fact that when people trot out... Uh, Try to Abraham as the hero of faith. And he's called like, he's the founder of the Jewish nation. He's the man of great faith. Do you know what his track record was? Twice. He's traveling around and some guy in the village sees his wife and thinks, man, she's hot. And Abraham says, hey, tell him, tell him that I'm your brother, that you're my sister. And just go with him. Twice he, here's the, bl- the brutal language here, he pimps his wife out. Twice. And then later on, in order to help God out, he decides with one of his employees who's a servant in the house, he has sexual relations with her and, and gets her pregnant. And that's the, what's going on in the Middle East today is all to that decision. Abraham screwed that up completely. And he's called a man of great faith. If that's what great faith is, you can breathe a little bit. Pimped your wife out yet for anything, guys? Probably not. But people can do all kinds of crazy stuff. This is what's beautiful about this. Jesus says just, we sometimes think I need to have all this great faith. You don't need to have great faith. Jesus says all you need is a mustard seed of faith. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about the object of your tiny little thread of faith and who you connect it to, which is a great God. And the struggle is going to be part of the deal like it was with Abraham. Romans is going to tell us the things I thought I'd be, I'm 61 years old now. I thought I'd be farther down the road than this in terms of my faith and my relationship with God. I screw up and fail and fall so many times. Got the words that come out of my mouth trying to fix a freaking lawnmower sometimes. <sighs> and John makes it clear in 1 John, it's about the idea of practicing sin. It's the idea of going, you know what? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's like an open credit card. You can do what you want and God doesn't care. It's a sign of grace. It means if you think that grace is, you've missed it. We're not passive about our sin. And this is the whole silly notion too. Some of you have seen this and heard this. I haven't seen it more recently, this whole little phrase. As Christians, we're not perfect, we're just, which is a load of nonsense. No, that's not true. It's absolutely true. What we've done with that, though, goes, if we've done this thing, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. Oh, well, so just sin all you want because we're just forgiven. We haven't really, when that's happened, you haven't experienced grace in your heart. You believe some things. You prayed, you did an incantation prayer in the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church accepting Jesus in your heart, whatever it was, if it never took root in your heart, it doesn't matter all the little experiences that you had. 
the, uh, the, uh, way back in the day, guys that are dead now, four or 500 years, talked about this way. He says, uh, talk about the idea of the mortification of our sin, putting our sin to death. They use this little phrase, be killing sin or it will be killing you. In Romans 8, 13, 8, 13, he says, put to death the deeds of your flesh. Galatians 5 says, I crucify my flesh. I crucify my sin nature over again. We get serious about this stuff. Again, not to go, okay, God, look what a great job I did. Are you happy with me? No, God, I love you. I'm happy right now. I want to clean this up out of your life, but it takes effort on your part to make this happen. And then he, take, he takes his son. Here's what faith looks like, guys, in the real world we're going to live in. Now, this is a crazy extreme example. I don't know that God's ever going to call any of you to do something this crazy, this extreme, but from time to time, you're going to feel like Abraham felt. He tells him, take your only son, the son of the promise, the son who I'd said I'd start the nation with, take him up to that mountain and sacrifice him to me there. And you've got to figure Abraham's got to be going, but God, you said, you said this was the son of the promise. You said this is the one. This doesn't make any sense to me right now. And you can imagine now, we sometimes sanitize the story, what it would be like to go on a three-day hike with your son who's carrying the wood and carrying the knife. And he looks at his dad and says, Dad, I see the, the fire here. I see the knife. I see the wood. Where's the animal for the sacrifice? And he's scared. He doesn't know what to do with this. But it says he leaves his servants at the foot of the hill and he climbs that hill with his son bearing the wood on his back. And he says... We'll be back. He had no idea. Here's what faith is, guys. Write this down today. Real faith says it makes no sense, and I'm scared. And maybe right down here, and I don't even want to right now. I think this is dumb. It makes no sense. I'm scared. This is dumb. This is ridiculous. And we do it anyway. Rahab, the prostitute. Yeah, pimps and prostitutes are our models of faith today. Crosspoint Church. They, they, they come to the... To the city of Jericho, the Israelites do, and they send two spies in to go spy out the land. And uh, they go to the prostitute's house. Now, my big question is, why are you guys in the prostitute's house? But that's a different story for a different day. It could be like just trying to, you know, just trying to be like, that's where all the men go when they come into town. So we're just trying to be unobtrusive and just go there. But they come knocking on her door because they hear about these Israelites that are here. We thought we saw people that might, that aren't from around here. You have them. And she has a decision to make because she has heard all about God. Catch this. Heard all about God. Now it's time for her faith to become real in God. Because it's scary for her right now. Because if they come upstairs and search her roof, they will find those spies and she'll be executed. And instead she says, oh, they went off a different way. She, one of the signs of faith is from time to time you get to lie. <laughs> she lied about it. Sometimes it makes no sense and you're scared. And then we don't ever talk about this in the idea of, you know, the Abraham sacrificing his son. But Abraham at this point is well over 100 years old. His son Isaac is probably 15 to 25, somewhere in there. Old men in here today, none of you are that age yet. Those of you that are my age, could you, well, some of you probably could. I know you. I see you work out at the gym. Could you take your 15 to 25-year-old son and hold him down on an altar? Could you outrun him? That knife comes out. If I'm Isaac, I'm out of here, pal. There's going to be some therapy, Dad. You and I are going to have to have to book some time somewhere. Instead, you know what he does? He carries that wood up the hill. And Abraham tells him, I need you to do this. And he willingly surrenders his life. Now, God interrupts that story and provides the lamb. 
and that lamb is sacrificed in his place. But this all foreshadows a time when another son would carry wood up a hill. And we all the times think, I can't believe the Romans and the Jews, what they did take his life. Jesus, no one takes my life from me. No, he says, I willingly offer it up to the world. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before that happened, though, you know what Jesus is doing? This makes no sense. I'm scared. I'm terrified. I don't want to do this. 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 He wrestles with God. Oh, this real faith is going to wrestle with God and say this. When I'm scared, when it makes no sense, I don't want to, I'm going anyway. And you're going to have times in your life that's what faith is going to be for you. If, if faith was always just easy, that's not faith. That's just common sense. Whenever it's a challenge to you to trust God with something, he's going to put his finger on something. Guy, I want you to stop doing this and start doing that and go, makes no sense, I don't want to. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you enough to willingly surrender myself to you. The band's going to come up right now. As we close this off today, guys, what if it's true? What if we had way mess, way mess, way less posturing and proclaiming and we had way more just practicing if we followed through on the things that God is telling us to do. And the, and the solution to that, again, it just it, please don't miss this today. Jesus, I've come to you who are overwhelmed, who are burdened with life, I've come to give you rest for your soul. Religion is going to say perform, 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 and just hope you do enough, and it will exhaust you and wear you out and terrify you. What you do is go, God, I'm just going to rest here with you. Your word, your people, and your spirit. And whatever you say, you tell me to do, even when I don't like it, and even when I don't want to, it's going to do what you say. Our prayer team is the back of the house today. Our band's going to sing some great songs today. Um, we're going to sing some songs. Our prayer team will be back there. If you need prayer for anything, maybe stuff going on in your life, challenges, difficulties, go back there and pray. Encourage you, some of you get up and leave early. Once in a while, you need to stay around afterwards. A guy walked up to me today in the plaza goes, I came to your church several months ago because of that party you guys did out there at Vail, that Halloween party. And faith has been born again in his life, whatever. He said, can I get baptized today? Not get baptized next week. Not like, can I talk to, like, baptized today. So today we're baptizing somebody. Service, super excited about that. Yeah. We have communion available. That's bread and juice symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. When you take that, that bread and that juice, the only chance you have to live the Christian life is because what our God did for us, climbing a hill with wood on his back. And he laid his life down, not just to forgive your sins, but he rose again from the dead to give you the power to obey and overcome it. Not because you have any power in and of yourself. It's a supernatural work he does in your heart. So Jesus, today, where this land's too hard for people that are more motivated by shame and guilt, God, take that away. Where it needs to land, where you need to convict us, rebuke us, encourage us, just, just do that right here, right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.